Hello, and welcome to Break the Boardroom, a music business podcast breaking the wall between the public and music industry insiders. I'm your host, Ashley Betances, a music business student studying commercial music industries at Ryder University. We have our audio engineer and producer, Curtis Sullivan, who is with us, helping us with our audio. Before we start, please like this episode and subscribe to our show and social media pages linked in the description and consider donating to our coffee page. Every donation counts and helps us bring you the best content possible. Thank you and let's get started. Our guest today is Chantel St. Clair, Director of Brand and Content Marketing at SongTrust and President of Connection, Advocacy, Resources and Education, also known as CARE, at Downtown Music Holdings. Please welcome Chantel St. Clair. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for all the time that you're spending with us here. So let's just jump right into it. Sure. Can you introduce yourself and your experience in the music industry? Sure. Um, So as you mentioned, my name is Chantel St. Clair. Um, I am currently the Director of Brand and Content Marketing at SonTrust. um, And in my spare time, I'm also the President of CARE, which is an ERG or Employee Resource Group at Downtown. Um, I've been here for nearly five years. January will be five years um, that I've been here at SongTrust and in the publishing world. Um, I My background in music is not typical. Um, I didn't go to school for music business. I didn't study music. I'm myself not a musician, um, although I, I absolutely admire musicians and the work that they do. It's not something that I personally am able to express myself through, but I just, I, I appreciate that um, you know, that, that art and that, um, musicians can like, you know, create music from nothing just from ideas. Um, I love that, but I did grow up in a very music centric community. Um, I grew up in just North of Dallas, Texas, and all of my friends were in bands or were musicians. I dabbled in the music arts many, many years ago. I tried violin and, you know, I was in an orchestra. I tried to teach myself guitar and piano, Um, And I was in choir for like 10 years. But outside of that, that's pretty much where my musical abilities kind of stop. Um, But I did, I kind of got into the music industry um, through a a weird series of events. Uh, It started with just an internship in college where I I interned for a, a sync house, essentially, where all I did was listen to music and catalog how it sounded and how it would make you feel for sync opportunities. And that was kind of my first introduction to the music industry. Um, And I was like, wow, this is very creative and fun. And like, I love listening to music and getting to know new genres. Um, And then I didn't do much with music until I was introduced to SongTrust. They actually had recruited me from my current job where I was working in kind of marketing for a startup um, app service company. And that's how I got my start. But um, they were looking for new people to build out their growth and marketing team. And they wanted people that had a different view um, and didn't necessarily have a background in music publishing just so that we could come in and kind of learn about music publishing and come up with new new ways of teaching that to music creators because for so long it had been taught the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of how I got my start in the music industry. It's definitely not traditional in any sense of the word. but I love being in this creative industry and I love helping musicians and learning from them. So it, it's been it's been a treat the last five years. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we have to be musicians 
just to be involved in the industry in any way. Um, And I also don't think we need to really study music business in school or education in any sense. Um, That's something I I feel that we can learn along the way. Um, especially with our mentors, whoever is above us in whatever company that we're trying to get into. Um, if they know music business, that's an easy way to really start understanding that process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a different outlook mm-hmm. on what it means to be a creator or a music creator. And I have a different outlook on just the music industry in general because I'm not, I don't have that pedigree from, you know, having been in here for a very long time. But, um, like I said, I definitely appreciate all the work and effort that music creators put into their work. And it's also really great to work with so many, you know, here at Song Trust, we're made up of musicians who are still have their own bands on the on the side or those that used to be in music and now they're just full into the music business industry. So it's a nice eclectic group of people. And I get to learn so much from different people at, that have different experiences, which is really nice. So it, it gives you a whole new appreciation for the music industry, the way music businesses run, maybe how it should be run instead. Um, you know, just by being around not just all musicians. Like, I think it would be a different vibe if we were all musicians and we all did the same thing. Um, it would definitely be different. Oh, definitely. I do agree that it would be different. I actually um, feel that if we were just all musicians, we would not learn you know, as well as we could. Um, Everyone has different experiences and different, um, you know, thoughts and patterns that goes into their work. And, you know, I feel like if we were just musicians all the time, it would would just be detrimental to our learning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So speaking of musicians, so uh, I do know that since you're in marketing, I, I feel like this would be an appropriate question. Um, how should a musician or aspiring industry professional uh, go about marketing themselves and their image? Yeah. Um, you know, of course, with the caveat that like, I'm not a musician, so uh-huh. it's going to change, right? It's going to change by everybody's, um, you know, your individual situation or your goals. But I would say what I've learned just from my experience in marketing and, and you know, working alongside many of our clients in, in that capacity, um, some of the things that I think you should just do is like, first and foremost is just make a plan, you know, set yourself some goals, kind of have that conversation with yourself about what am I trying to achieve? You know, is this, am I doing this as more of a hobby or am I really doing this as I want this to be my full-time career and how far do you want it to go? Having just even a very basic plan will help you start to make decisions as you move forward in your career. Whereas if you just kind of jump in and run with it, I mean, all I like all for that go for you you know good luck but I think a lot of times that's what a lot of musicians do and then you get to a certain kind of roadblock you get to an obstacle and you're not sure how to overcome that and then you kind of get stuck so having some kind of plan to start out with is great be flexible be flexible about you know what your goals are going to be marketing wise um, based off of what you're learning about your you know your audience your fans um, past things that you do in marketing, you know, learn from that experience and then kind of adapt to, to make new changes moving forward. Um, I think it goes without saying when you do any type of marketing, you kind of have to get out of your comfort zone. You know, like at Song Trust, um, when we started our video strategy, I had, you know, and even now still myself and my team have to get on and make TikTok videos. And like, mm-hmm. I feel so cringy making them, but you know, the whole point of it is education. And so you definitely have to get out of 
your comfort zone and be willing to try some new things. That doesn't mean like totally be uncomfortable with everything that you're doing, but you know, if if you're not really comfortable being in front of the camera, maybe just try making a video to or to here or there just so that you can get that experience and see what that feels like mm-hmm. and see how your fans or your audience are going to respond to that. And if it doesn't work, you know, try something else. Um, that being said, getting out of your comfort zone is important, but I also believe being super authentic to yourself is really important. So like know what your values are, know who you are, or or go on that journey to find out who you are um, and stick to that. Don't change yourself and don't market yourself in a different way just because that's what society tells you you need to do. Or, you know, this artist did it and it really worked for them. And now you want that, um, you know, that viral moment as well. Just be who you are. And most people are going to respond really well to that. And then my last advice definitely is learn from others. There are so many musicians who have gone before you and have done the same thing or have been on a similar path. Try not to make the same mistakes. Learn from them um, or even just learn how they're doing it and see if maybe that works for you. Um, I know those aren't like clear cut, like here's what you do for marketing to like make yourself and your image great. But I think all of those things are very easily attainable. And will help you as you develop a marketing plan or strategy for yourself and your music. No, that's great. And I don't think there is a clear-cut way of marketing in any sense because no. every person is different, like I said before. And I mean, every even every merchandise, every item that you sell is different. Um, so there's obviously going to be different tactics uh, to approach um, the way to market anything. Yeah, um, what works for one person might not work for you and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also okay to just try it and see if it works. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, there's no need to reinvent the wheel either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things that I actually learned uh, in my courses so far is how to write business plans. Um, do you think that's one of the things that musicians should learn how to do? Or do you think a very, very simple version of that is mostly recommended? Yeah, I mean, if you have the opportunity um, to learn, you know, from someone else how to build a business plan, I think it's a great idea. Um, You know, as much as you are a creator, right, and you're doing something creative, if you want to do this full time as a career, it is a business. Like you then become a business and you should have some type of plan for that. So if that's what your goal is um, and you're really you know, able to put in that work. And like I said, you have that opportunity to learn from someone about how to do that. Um, You know, I would certainly do that. I think also a very quick Google search or watching a YouTube video on how to build a business plan is also certainly an option. Um, And again, you have to do what's right for you. So if, you know, if you're not someone who's like, oh, I don't want to sit, you know, in a in a room listening to someone lecture to me about how to build a business plan, that's cool. Doing a very simplified version of that um, and just setting some goals mm-hmm. very simply, like get a sheet of paper and just write down, okay, my top three goals for this year are blah, blah, blah. Um, that in and of itself will already start that momentum to building out like your kind of long-term strategy. And I think the other thing to note too is, it's okay not to have all the answers. You don't need to know what's going to happen. These are really just sort of milestones that you can set for yourself to try to attain. And then you can be flexible and change them as you know as time goes on. Maybe that goal that you set is not really what you're aiming 
to go for, or maybe it doesn't make sense for, you know, your audience or your music or, you know, your goals just change. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to be flexible and change them up. But I think having something concrete that you can like kind of refer back to is just helpful to keep you sort of focused and, you know, accountable as well so that you're not kind of just running amok, you know, doing random things and putting your energy and time into a lot of different things that aren't doing you justice. Mm, I agree with that. Um, another thing that uh, I learned was that one of the goals, uh, when you're writing goals down, they should be measurable, uh, mm. as well as the other word that you said is attainable. Yes. Um, so, like, it's great to reach for the stars, but, you know, yeah. especially starting out, I don't really think that's a, that's how you should do it, in a sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can totally say, you know what, I want to have a viral TikTok video by the mm. end of the year. That's a great like overarching goal to have. And then you start to kind of piece down what are like the individual, like attainable goals that will try to help me get to that. And you might not have the viral video at the end of the year, but maybe some of those mini goals were like, I'm going to create and post one video per week. Um, or I'm going to try to collaborate with another music creator to like, you know, do like a, a, a joint session video or something like that. There's a lot of little things that you can kind of put underneath the bigger goal to try to get there. And then, you know, you kind of do what I would call like a retrospection at the end of that, right? You go, okay, so what worked? What didn't work? What do I need to change for my next goal for the next year? Um, you know, it's small pieces that help you get to the larger picture. Um, and that's where that flexibility comes in too. If, if you need to change the goal, change it. Just have mm -hmm. something to work towards. Definitely, definitely. Uh, in that same vein, how do we market ourselves to earn money? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I always tell clients, the first thing you have to do is get your music in front of people. Marketing helps you do this. But the basic goal here is like, People need to hear it. People need to listen to it. It's not as simple as I'm just going to upload it to SoundCloud and like let the algorithm do the work. You need to be like, you know, hustling this in front of your friends and family and ask them to share it and, you know, share it on your social media. That's the first thing. And if we're being honest, you know, more streams equals more royalties or money, essentially. Mm -hmm. So the more you, if you just let your work, your song do all the work for you, you're never going to see anything. You know, it's a very saturated market. There's so much music to consume and there's so many different versions of it now that you, you know, I don't want to say you need to be competitive in that way. And, you know, but you do need to kind of help your song get to the next level by getting it in front of people. Um, and it also really helps to learn more about your audience or your fans um, as you build that up um, and then tweak your goals to fit that. So you know, for example, say you're like a, a music creator here in the U.S. and you release music here and you're kind of anticipating that your audience is going to be here in the U.S. Maybe all of a sudden you're starting to learn that you have like a really big following like in the U.K. And now you should adapt your goals and say, OK, hey, I have this group of people who are listening to my songs in the U.K., let me kind of adapt my my goals, my strategy, and let me market to that group and really build that fan base up. And then whatever I learn from that, I can kind of apply to start maybe building one here in the U.S. if that's like a goal of mine. Um, but knowing the demographics or just some insights on who is listening to your music. And there's so many platforms out there that, you know, help you learn some of this information. Um, that will really help you 
facilitate your marketing strategy, which will ultimately help you monetize your work even more and earn more money. But, you know, everybody wants that quick fix. Like, what are the top things that I need to do to just like be famous? Um, And my advice just always is like, number one, people need to listen to your music. So that's Mm -hmm. first and foremost. If you're not doing that, you're, you're behind the game. So what are some ways that uh, people can get their music out there? You know, I, I don't expect anyone to go up to someone on the street and just say, hey, here's my music, you know? True. True. I mean, it still happens. Um, if, you, if you've ever gone to Venice Beach in California, you are going to be, you know, you're going to meet so many people with CDs and um, headphones that want you to listen to their music. So it's definitely one way that you can do it. You can get on the ground, out on the street and hustle your music and have people listen to it. Um, you know, other ways are doing live performances. This can be anything from, you know, getting a permit and playing out on the street at like maybe like a farmer's market or at like a coffee shop to, you know, actually trying to book a venue or a gig. Um, I mean, it can even be something as simple as doing birthday parties or DJ sets like that, you know, they seem basic, but sometimes you have to start at the beginning and just work your way up. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, doing that. Now, mind you, there are definitely music creators who are not performing artists, and that's totally fine. If you're just a songwriter and you're, you know, creating music for artists to sing or to perform it, that's great too. You need to just build your network, build your network of other music creators who you can collaborate with, um, you know, kind of put yourself out there and meet other artists, maybe who you even think wouldn't respond to you. Maybe they're a little bit more popular and you may be a little harder to get a hold of, but making sh- like putting yourself out there and reaching out to them and, you know, asking if you can like get feedback on your music, at least at that stage kind of starts the conversation. I think music creators just have to be careful about, you know, you're selling your music in some ways and you don't want to come off like, here's my music, like, you know, in somebody's face. Um, so I always suggest that you want to have sort of a reciprocal um, conversation. So yes, you want feedback from them, but what kind of value can you also offer the person that you're reaching out to? Um, Having that exchange of value Mm -hmm. is really important. Um, Can you tell me an example of one of those exchange situations? Yeah, I mean, let's see. I think a good example would be Let's just say that you're like working in you're, you're you went into the studio to work on one of your songs um and maybe you're just doing this by yourself but the studio engineer happens to be in at the same time. That is also a great opportunity for you to, you know, one meet the studio engineer, just kind of learn their names so that you can be on a first name basis, but also learn about what they're doing, ask them questions like, "Hey, you know, what do you do here? What does a day-to-day look like for you?" And then as you're kind of learning more about them, you can kind of slide in there and say, hey, I've been working on something, you know, would you mind giving it a listen and give me some feedback? Um, And then is there anything that I can like do to help you out around here? You know, is, you know, is there a way that I could just like kind of keep the studio in, in, in a way that, you know, makes it easier for the next person to come in and makes your job easier. Or even just asking them about themselves is sort of an exchange of, of value as well, because maybe they're not being talked to, you know, a lot of, like studio engineers are kind of in the background anyways. And, 
you know, artists will come in and out and they don't necessarily always meet everybody in the room. So that gives you an opportunity to meet someone, make a connection, um, and hopefully get some feedback. Now, that's just one example. That same example can kind of be applied to anything. So maybe you're reaching out to an artist on, let's say, Instagram, right? The idea there could also be, hey, I'm looking for feedback. Um, are you in need of anything? Like, are you in need of lyrics? Are you in need of a hook for a song? Like, I'm happy to share anything that I, you know, anything that I'm able to do to kind of help you on another project as well. I think there's a lot of different ways that that scenario could go, but essentially it's just saying, if you want something from someone, try and see what kind of value you can also offer them um, in return. And sometimes that value is just getting to know them and like learning about their experience. People do like to talk about themselves, not in like a selfish way, but, you know, people like to share what they've learned and the experiences that they've had. And so I think it's important to just even utilize networking as a way to exchange value. That's great. I, I agree with everything that you said. And it's really nice because, see, the re the reason I asked for an example is because I have heard uh, that phrase a lot, exchange. You know, get an exchange, connect with people. But what I don't hear are the examples. What kind of exchange can I have with this person? You know, mm -hmm. what can I possibly give them when I'm just starting out? Um, and it's really nice that one of those things can actually be just learning about them and just talking to them. Yeah. I mean, maybe they also have a song that they want some feedback on, right? So mm -hmm. like maybe it's just as simple as, hey, let's exchange songs, tell mm -hmm. each other what we thought have honest feedback and that honest exchange. But yeah, I think that's definitely something I have noticed. Not many music creators will talk about that, the exchange of value, but they don't necessarily have an example to back that up with. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh yeah, I want to exchange that. But what does that actually mean? And sometimes it's the most simplest things of just getting to know a human being. Definitely. Let's change gears a little bit. So you mentioned the word royalties. Um, very important in the music <laughs> industry, of course. Yes. Um, so can you just explain a little bit about like how royalties work and uh, really who manages artist royalties in both a uh, record label setting and an independent artist setting? Yeah, sure. So this is what we do all day, every day, um, is the education of royalties. And, you know, this plays into music publishing so well, but um, for anyone who's not sure or you're just starting out, the main thing that you need to walk away with is just knowing that every song, from the minute that you finish that song and it's in its tangible form and you're like, I'm done with this, I'm ready to release it, um, you own that copyright and ownership on that song. And every song is divided into two parts. So you have the recording, which is the actual sound recording itself. Um, and then you have the composition, which is like, this, uh, the melody, the lyrics, and the underlying composition of the actual song itself. Each one of those is a different copyright. Um, and as you as an independent artist, like I said, when you finish that song, you own the copyright of both of those. Now, this is where it gets a little bit more complex because each side then breaks down into different royalties. Um, but this is also what I believe to be the most important thing music creators need to understand is like, how does your song make money? And technically, there are four ways on both sides that you can earn money. So on the recording side of it, you have like recording revenue that your label or distributor is going to collect 
just for the use of the sound of your music. Um, and then you also have something called digital performance royalties um, or often referred to as neighboring rights. And that can be kind of anything from like radio airplay. Um, and that's all on the recording side. On the publishing side or the composition side, you your, your royalties then break down into types of royalties and you have performance royalties and mechanical royalties. Mechanical royalties are generated whenever your song is reproduced in any form. It used to be, back in the day, just simply physical reproduction. So CDs, LPs, um, you know, way, way back in the day was the the mechanical um, uh, piano recording. So if you Mm -hmm. ever saw those, like, they're like those tubes that have the little... Yeah, that was the physical mechanical reproduction of songs back in the day. Um, but now a days we have streaming. So this also includes digital downloads or any type of on-demand streaming. So like Apple Music or Spotify. Um, performance royalties are anytime, uh, are royalties that are generated anytime your song is publicly performed. So this can be live shows, um, radio broadcasts. It could be, you know, the speaker, uh, at the restaurant or in a live venue or a retail store. Um, on-demand streaming also earns performance royalties, but it's, well, streaming both earns uh, performance and mechanical royalties. But it generally, it breaks down into these two buckets. Um, there is a third one that we talk about at Song Trust, but it's a little bit of both. It's called micro-sync royalties. And these are usually royalties that are collected using like user-generated content on YouTube um, or small sync opportunities as well. So that's like how your song is then broken down. And once you start to explain this to music creators, they're like, oh, so there's like four different avenues of revenue that one song can can earn. And mm-hmm. like, that's why it's so important for you to understand how your song makes money so that you're not leaving anything on the table. Um, in terms of like who kind of manages these, uh, the recording royalties um, generally will be collected by like your distributor, your label, maybe your manager. If you have them, if you're if you're like a signed artist, if you're an independent artist, you're kind of responsible for managing these royalties, but you'll you'll usually get them from your distributor on the composition side. Um, again, it all depends on kind of what your status is. So if you are a signed artist, again, your label, your manager, or your publisher are generally going to be collecting those royalties as let's say an independent artist. Again, you are responsible for managing the collection of those royalties. Um, generally, you'll do part of that collection through your PRO or CMO, which are performing rights organizations or collective management or um, organizations. Um, or if you have like a publishing administrator like Song Trust, they will help with the collection of your royalties. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot, but it's a lot of great information. Um, and it's information that everyone needs to know, especially if you don't, if you're just starting off as a musician, these are, these are things that you need to know so that you know how to make money and know where to go to collect that money as well. Right. Um, yeah. And so many artists also think, oh, I'm going to distribute my music and my distributor is going to give me everything. But that's just one subset of royalties that your song is earning. There's a, you know, at least three other ones that, you know, you might not be tapping into just yet. Um, And so I think that's where a lot of, and and also distribution is generally 
happens a lot quicker. So you're going to see that money a lot faster. Um, whereas publishing takes, takes some time. It's, it's old, it's an old system. So it takes some time to, to see those royalties, but, um, you know, that's where sort of your long-term revenue will come from and your short term revenue generally comes from your distribution side. So can you speak a little bit more about uh, publishers and uh, royalty collection organizations? Uh, is there a specific name for these kind of organizations? Yeah, so we we kind of refer, refer to them as collection societies. Um, some people might also refer to them as pay sources, but pay sources sort of is an umbrella term that includes uh, DSPs, like digital uh, service providers like Spotify, Um but generally, the royalty collection services or organizations that you will interact with, other than your publisher, are called um, performing rights organizations or PROs or collective management organizations, CMOs. Um, these are so like PROs are an example would be like ASCAP or BMI here in mm -hmm. the US. Um, a CMO might be like PRS in the UK or Gamma in Germany. Um, they have different names because they generally are all a little bit different. So PROs generally will only collect performance royalties. They don't work with collection on mechanical royalties. CMOs, which you'll generally find outside of the U.S. because the system for publishing is very different from that within the U.S. Um, collective management organizations will generally collect both performance and mechanical royalties. But it does vary from society and territory. Um, Every one of them have different standards. They all have different requirements. They all have different timelines. So it's really important for artists, you know, as you're starting out, learn what your collection society is in your home territory. Learn kind of if you have options like here in the U.S., you know, is BMI or ASCAP better for your goals um, and learn about like what what kind of services they provide and what networks they provide. Um those are kind of the meat of your royalty collection. Those are the actual societies that are tracking the, you know, the the earnings that your songs are making and collecting the royalties from those other pay sources like Spotify or what have you um, to then bring back and, you know, hopefully distribute that out to you. Now, it does get a little bit more complex when you talk about the actual royalty payment part um, because it does break down a little bit further on the publishing side even more. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, they're the ones that are going to be kind of like your first line of defense in making sure that you collect your royalties. And then after that would be, um, you know, working with a publisher or a publishing administrator to kind of help you collect in the areas that you cannot collect on your own because there are just some societies that don't allow independent artists to um, sign up and collect, like, let's say, their publisher share from, from that country. Or maybe they have very specific rules, like you need to have, um, you know, a, a physical address in that country or that state, um, or you have to have, you know, a certain amount of catalog that they'll allow a membership into. So it it, it does vary. But You'll have those, you'll have your publisher, publishing administrator, and then of course outside of that on the recording side, you'll have your distributor, um, or if you decide to work with a label, you know, they'll also be helping you with a lot of those services. Okay, so is SongTrust one of them, one of, those, one of these organizations? Yes, so we are a music publishing administrator. Um, essentially what that means is that we help music creators 
access their their royalties through registration and royalty collection um, on an independent level. So unlike a traditional publishing deal where oftentimes, you know, it's um it's done by commercial value, you you are offered a deal um, less though than you kind of going out and reaching out for a publishing deal. Um, and they generally take a percentage of your ownership. So they actually take ownership of part of your song in exchange for the additional services that they provide, like creative services, marketing services, and the rest. As a publishing administrator, Song Trust, we, we don't take any ownership from your song. So you are an independent artist. You retain 100% of your ownership in all in exchange just for a small commission fee that we take off of the top of the royalties that we do collect for you. Um, but it, because of that, we are slightly different than a traditional publisher. We don't provide creative services. But that does mean then that our clients are more than free to exploit their music in any way that they see fit, meaning they can pitch their music for sync opportunities. They can, you know, play wherever they want to. We don't have a say in that. All we do is the registration of their song information to societies around the world where their song is being played and is earning royalties. And then we go out we connect with those societies and we collect the money for them and then distribute that back out to them. I've also heard of sound exchange. Is that something similar or is it different completely? Yeah, we get this a lot. We also have very similar names, Um, (laughs) but sound exchange is totally different and separate from song trust. And it is definitely something that artists should um, learn about, be a member of, or a, uh, an organization that's like sound exchange within their um, home territory. So sound exchange collects um, sound recording royalties and recorded digital performance royalties for the sound recording copyright owners, and then also the featured recording artists. Um, And this is generally for plays on like non-interactive broadcasts or radio play. Um, so they are collecting on the other side of your song for the recording side, um, which sometimes people also re- refer to as like the master recording or sound recording. And then Song Trust is exclusively on the compositional side, um, collecting the publishing royalties. Every songwriter should absolutely have both. At Song Trust, we actually have a sort of royalty checklist that we um, share for free on our uh, as resources on our website. Um, And it kind of goes through like the top four things that you'd need to make sure that you're covering each one of those revenue areas. One of them being you need your distributor. That's just plain and simple. Um, Second is being with a PRO or a CMO. Um, That also just establishes you as a songwriter within the music publishing sphere. So they know when that song is being played, who it belongs to. Um, third is having a publishing partner or just having a publishing plan. Um, you know, not everybody is ready for a publishing administrator or traditional publishing, and that's fine, but kind of understanding what publishing is and knowing what your next step is going to be in order to collect those royalties is important. And then lastly, we always say either sign up with Sound Exchange or another neighboring rights organization so that you can make sure that those digital performance royalties on the recording side are being collected. What are some of the things that artists can do to maximize their royalty income? Um, You know, there are so many, like you said, there are so many different avenues of royalty income. Uh, So what are some of the ways that we can make sure that we are actually maximizing these incomes and making sure that we are collecting from all of the different pots that we can? Yeah. um, First and foremost, just, just 
understand the the foundation and how your song makes money. I know that sounds so basic. It's like, oh, understand how this works. But like not understanding how your song makes money is kind of the first detrimental step. Like if you don't know how your song is going to earn money, then you don't know where you need to be, you know, affiliated with or a member of, or you don't know what your next step is. So first and foremost is just learn, learn that basic, um, you know, I have to pitch. Songtress has tons of educational resources on our website, our blog, our videos that can definitely help you learn just that very basic um, foundation. Um, after that, after you already know all of that and you're like, okay, there's all these different areas where I need to be collecting on. Um, from a marketing standpoint, number one is is market your song. You know, get it in front of people, have people listen to it, um, you know, just just get it out there in in front of people. Um, if you are a performing artist or you're not afraid to perform in front of people, do live performances. That is going to be a great way for you to earn um, performance royalties in addition to your songs being streamed on, say, Spotify. You know, streaming is huge and it is the way that most people are making money these days, but you're also getting paid, you know, stream counts. It, it's very small what you're earning in royalties. Um, and so you need to kind of supplement that with other things and doing live performances is a great way to do that. Now, if you're not a performing artist, that's totally fine too. Just make sure that you are building your network so that you can give your music to other artists to perform. Um, and you can work with them to, you know, submit splits and registration so that you're earning every time they perform that song as well. And then lastly, I think you just have to write more music. I know that sounds so crazy. It's like, oh, well, we already made music. Like, shouldn't we be doing something with that? Absolutely. You should never just release something and then walk away from it. But I think the other part of it is just continue putting out more music. Keep writing, keep distributing, because one of those songs is going to really resonate with a group of people and it's going to take off. But it's only going to happen if you keep putting music out there. If mm -hmm. you just put a few songs and then hope, you know, that it's going to get the traction that you want, you might not see the results that you want. I mean, I could be wrong and you could totally have like a, a, a bop hit where it just gets so viral the minute that you, you know, the first song that you put up and that's awesome, but that's not um, the reality of what happens in the music industry. And so just doing more creating more music is going to really help you not only hone your craft um, but it's also going to just put more opportunities for people to interact with your music out there in the world. What are some of the most common mistakes that either musicians or even publishers uh, make when it comes to collecting royalties? Yeah, I think first and foremost is not being a member of a PRO or a CMO. Um, it's so it's like the first step that you need to do. Um, becoming a member establishes you within the music industry. It's sort of like, um, you know, it, it it gives you the credentials, essentially, to be a, a musician in the music industry. It assigns you, you know, um, your IPI number and sets you as a songwriter. It allows other organizations to, you know, connect your song to you as a songwriter. Um, and just not doing that step really puts a lot of musicians in a bad place because when their song does finally get the traction that they want, if it does, 
there's no connection. There's no way for the industry to be able to say, oh, that song belongs to this songwriter and now they're earning this money and they need to be paid that out. Um, and then what you end up having is this issue of unallocated royalties or sometimes referred to as black box royalties where you're just not getting paid the money that you're you're earning. Um, I think the second thing, you know, of course, is not educating yourself about the ways that your song can earn money um, or learning from others. Um, you know, there are so many, as we've mentioned, there's so many other music creators that have gone before you that have been in publishing deals or have not done publishing. And I think learning from them and finding where the pitfalls were and what they would do differently is definitely someplace that is a common mistake. I think a lot of musicians think I got to go alone, but that's not true. You, you know, you have this plethora of experiences that you can learn from. And then I would say the third thing is waiting too long to get publishing. So publishing is not for every musician at any stage. Um, you definitely need to have a little bit of traction in order to really maximize, you know, the value that you get out of a publishing um, partner. But waiting too, too long to get a publishing partner because you think your PRO is collecting everything for you or your distributors um, collecting everything for you also does you damage because the you know you might have unallocated royalties that are kind of just sitting around waiting for you but they don't wait forever eventually they go to someone else and you don't want to let that money you know go to another artist that's not doing the hard work so i think artists who wait too long or don't understand when the right time to get publishing is is a definitely a huge common mistake that we see you spoke about um well in two instances about waiting too long to be in a partnership with, let's say, a publisher um, or even going at their music alone. When should an artist, you know, start getting their publisher or when should they start getting a team behind them to really help them in all of this process? Yeah, well, on the publishing side, um, you will get the most value out of having a publishing partner when you're with a PRO SEMO, you have all your music distributed and you're continuously distributing music and you're seeing some significant streams, at least on one song on one platform. Um, the stream counts on what is a significant stream kind of vary from person to person that you ask. Um, but you know, we're, we're definitely here talking about like hundreds of thousands of streams. That's where you really start to see royalties start to be earned. Um, I think once you are actually earning publishing royalties and not just like cents or dollars, that's when it's best to start looking at a publishing partner. Um, when you're still kind of starting out and your music is still kind of ramping up, um, a lot of that you can just collect directly from your PRO or your CMO. And it's less work, um, you know, and it's very easy for you to just go on your PRO website, register your song, and collect what you can in the meantime. Once your song really starts to get some traction and is earning money, that's and you're and you have a much larger catalog as well. That's when having a publishing partner is probably the most vital because now you're kind of bringing somebody else into the fold. Um, let's say now you're starting to have streams in other countries as well. That's when it becomes the most important part because there are 
you know, however many, there's like over a hundred different countries and territories around the world. Um, each of them have their own system. Each of them have their own societies. Sometimes they have multiple ones. I mean, don't get me started on Brazil's landscape, right? They have so many down there. Um, but you need a partner who knows how the system works and is able to go out and collect royalties from these other countries and territories that your song is earning in that is maybe outside of your home territory. Because another thing that a lot of creators forget is that your PRO or your CMO, they're generally just collecting within your home territory. Um, they may on occasion go out and collect from another society if they have a reciprocal deal. But if they don't already have that in play or they don't know that your song is, you know, maybe commercially viable at this point and is earning a lot, a lot of that money could just be sitting at that society. So a publisher will come in and they've already got this vast network that they've set up. Um, they have these direct relationships where they can go out and say, hey, we have a client who lives here in the U.S., but they have massive plays going on in Germany and they should have money sitting there that we're ready to collect for them. I think that's when it's time to bring someone onto your team. Mm. Now, having a team for other things like a manager or, you know, looking for a label, that all depends or even a marketing, you know, um, function as well. I think that all depends on what your goals are. And generally, I think it starts to happen when it's a strategic decision. Um, you know, it happens when you sort of need an extra set of hands. Um, maybe you you have the discretionary income to bring on that those team members. Um, and you really, really have decided that this is something you're going to do full time. Um, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want to encourage anyone who's like, oh, I'm doing this as a hobby. I'm I'm kind of learning as I go. I wouldn't encourage you to rush out and build out this team of people because you might end up not needing that. You might be able to do a lot of this on your own up until a certain point. Um, so it really, you know, depends on your unique situation. But in terms of publishing, that's that's the time is when <laughs> when your your music is starting to be played outside of your home territory and is is starting to get some traction. That's all great. Um, we're going to start wrapping up a little bit here. Um, but I do have uh, two last questions. Sure. Um, so most of our audience are aspiring uh, to enter the music scene in any format. So whether it's a musician or a publisher or any other type of industry professional. Um, so do you have any advice for them? Yeah. Well, I don't want to be a, a broken record here, but learn, learn, learn. Um, this also might be coming from some, you know, my whole job is around education and providing that information. So I'm much of an advocate, I'm very much of an advocate for that, but learn, learn, learn. Um, I like to say the smartest person in the room isn't the one who knows everything or thinks they know everything or sounds like they know everything. It's usually the one who is sitting there listening and asking insightful and thoughtful questions and then taking what they learn and kind of adapting that to carve out their own path. Um, and so I, I think you know, make sure that you make space to learn new things um, and learn from others so that you don't make the same mistakes and you feel confident in the decisions that you're making because you've taken the time to be thoughtful about what you're you know, moving forward with. Um, and then I think my other advice would definitely be find a community. 
um, for some reason, artists or music creators often think, like we've said, like that they have to do this alone or stay away from competition, right? (laughs) But I just find this so false. I I think find your people, learn from them, collaborate with them, and carve out your own path. It's not about conforming or about trying to do something different than the next person. It's about what, what makes sense for you how you can be the most authentic person um, and be authentic to your music and your craft while also taking what you've learned from others and building out that network. Um, And even if let's just say, you know, even you want to be a a solo artist, that's okay. The collaboration part is still super important because you get to learn new ways of creating music or get new ideas from others. Even if you're not going to do a collaboration session, still having those opportunities to just like sit in on someone else's session and like, you know, listen to how they run it or just kind of, you know, bounce some ideas off of each other in just like a regular brainstorming session or just talking about how they do, how they create music. Those are all just opportunities for you to, you know, decide how you're going to do, how you're going to create your own music. Um, So yeah, learn, find a community and, and be true to yourself. (laughs) all good um is there any social media or any pages that you would like to uh put in the description uh for us or would you like to tell anyone any social medias that you'd like them to follow sure of course i have to plug song trust here um yeah song trust you know we do our our best to provide as many free educational resources to anybody who is looking to start out as a musician who is already doing this, or maybe you are a veteran and you just want some recap. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely shout out our resource center. You can go to songtrust.com um, and find a whole plethora of educational resources free to download. Um, you, I would also check us out on Instagram. We're constantly putting out infographics to kind of just help people learn a little bit more about music publishing and all the crazy complex things that go on behind the scenes. Um, Our YouTube channel, um, these are all at just song trust as our our tag. Our YouTube channel um, has tons of educational resources, um, webinars, uh, interviews with um, industry leaders, um, and demos that can definitely help you learn a little bit more. Um, I also shout out our, our TikTok channel. It's still growing, but we put plenty of fun videos on there. So something to just kind of mix up all that educational content. And I'm constantly making a fool of myself on there. So at least go like that so that I, I feel good about continuing to make those. <laughs> um, but other than that, that, um, definitely check out songtrust.com. Um, and, you know, drop us a note if you ever have an idea about resources that you'd like to see. Nice. All right. So it has been a pleasure having you on, Chantel. Uh, Thank you for your time. Uh, Again, you can find all of Chantel's um, plugs in the description. (laughs) Um, Again, I'm your host, Ashley Patances, and um, our audio engineer has been in the room as well. His name is Curtis Sullivan. Please remember to like this episode and subscribe to our podcast and social media to keep up with updates. And don't forget to check out our coffee page and donate. Every donation counts. See you with the next episode.